Improvement. I now proceed to improve and apply the subject. To hypocrites and formal professing Christians. You have seen that the keeping of the heart is the great work of a Christian in which the very soul and life of true religion consists, and without which all other duties are of no value in the sight of God. Therefore, to the consternation of hypocrites and formal professing Christians, I conclude. 1. That the pains and labors which many have undergone in religion are of no value and will turn to no good account. Many splendid services have been performed by men which God will utterly reject. They will not stand on record in order to receive an eternal acceptance because the performers took no heed to keep their hearts with God. This is that fatal rock on which thousands of vain professing Christians dash and ruin themselves eternally. They are exact about the externals of religion, but pay no regard to their hearts. Oh, how many hours have some professing Christians spent in hearing, praying, reading, and discussing! And yet, as to the main end of religion, they might as well have sat still and done nothing. The great work, I mean heart work, was neglected their whole lives. Tell me, vain professing Christian, when did you shed a tear for the deadness, hardness, unbelief, or earthliness of your heart? Do you think your easy religion can save you? If so, you must invert Christ's words and say, Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to life, and many there are who enter. 2. Hear me, you self-deluding hypocrite, you who have put off God with heartless duties, you who have acted in religion as if you had been blessing an idol, you who could not search your heart and regulate it and exercise it in your performances, how will you withstand the coming of the Lord? How will you hold up your head before Him when He will say, O oh, you pretending false-hearted man, how could you profess religion? With what face could you so often tell me that you loved me when you knew in your conscience that your heart was not with me? O oh, tremble to think what a fearful judgment it is to be given over to a heedless and careless heart, and then to have religious duties instead of a rattle to quiet and still the conscience. To the people of God I infer for their humiliation that unless the people of God spend more time and effort regarding their hearts than they ordinarily do, they are never likely to do God much service or possess much comfort in this world. I may say of that Christian who was remiss and careless in keeping his heart, as Jacob said of Reuben, Thou shalt not excel. It grieves me to see how many Christians there are who live at a poor low rate, both of service and comfort, and who go up and down dejected and complaining. But how can they expect it should be otherwise when they live so carelessly? Oh, how little of their time is spent in the closet, in searching, humbling, and invigorating their hearts. Christian, you say your heart is dead, and do you wonder that it is, so long as you do not nourish it with the fountain of life? If your body has been as starved as your soul has been, that would have been dead too, and you may never expect that your heart will be in a better state until you take more care of it. Two things which consume the time and strength of professing Christians. O Christians, I fear your zeal and strength have run in the wrong channel. I fear that most of us may take up the church's complaint, they made me the keeper of the vineyards, 
but mine own vineyard have I not kept. Two things have eaten up the time and strength of the professing Christians of this generation, and sadly diverted them from heart work. First, fruitless controversies, no doubt started by Satan for the very purpose of taking us off from practical godliness, to make us puzzle our heads when we should be inspecting our hearts. How little have we regarded the observation! Scripture, It is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, that is, with disputes and controversies about meats, which have not profited them, that have been occupied therein. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. How much better it is to see men live exactly than to hear them dispute with subtlety. These unfruitful questions, how have they torn apart churches, wasted time and energy, and taken Christians off from their main business? What do you think? Would it not have been better if the questions agitated among the people of God lately had been such as these? How can a man distinguish the special from the common operations of the Spirit? How may a soul discern its first backslidings from God? How may a backsliding Christian recover his first love? How may the heart be preserved from unseasonable thoughts in duty? How may a bosom sin be discovered and subdued? Would not this course have tended more to the honor of true religion and the comfort of souls? I am ashamed that the professing Christians of this generation are insensible of their folly. Oh, that God would turn their disputes and contentions into practical godliness! Second, worldly cares and encumbrances have greatly increased the neglect of our hearts. The heads and hearts of multitudes have been filled with such a crowd and noise of worldly business that they have lamentably declined in their zeal, their love, their delight in God, and their heavenly, serious, and profitable way of conversing with men. How miserably we have entangled ourselves in this wilderness of trifles! Our discourses, our conferences, no, our very prayers are tinged with it. We have had so many things to do that we have not been able to take care of our inner selves. So how many precious opportunities have we lost? How many admonitions of the Spirit have passed over us unfruitfully? How often has the Lord called to us when our worldly thoughts have prevented us from hearing? But there certainly is a way to enjoy God even in our worldly endeavors. If we lose our views of Him when engaged in our earthly affairs, the fault is our own. Alas, that Christians should stand at the door of eternity, having more work upon their hands than their time is sufficient for, and yet be filling their heads and hearts with trivialities. Exhortation to Hearty Engagedness in Keeping the Heart I infer lastly, for the awakening of everyone, that if the keeping of the heart is the great work of a Christian, then there are only a few real Christians in the world. If everyone who has learned the dialect of Christianity, and who can talk like a saint, if everyone who has gifts and abilities, and who can preach, pray, or discourse like a Christian, in a word, if everyone who associates with the people of God and partakes of ordinances may pass for a Christian, then indeed the number is great. But, alas, how few can be found, if you judge them by this rule! How few are there who conscientiously keep their hearts, watch their thoughts, and look scrupulously to their motives! Indeed, there are few closet men among professing Christians. It is easier for men to be reconciled to any other duties in religion than to these. The profane part of the world, 
will not so much as meddle with the outside of any religious duties, and least of all with these. And as to the hypocrite, though he may be very particular in externals, you can never persuade him to undertake this inward, this difficult work. This work, to which there is no inducement from human applause, this work, which would quickly discover what the hypocrite does not want to know, so that by general consent this hard work is left to the hands of a few retired ones, and I tremble to think how few hands it is. If the keeping of the heart is such an important business, if such great advantages result from it, if so many valuable interests are wrapped up in it, then let me call upon the people of God everywhere to engage heartily in this work. Study your hearts, watch your hearts, keep your hearts. Do away with fruitless controversies and all idle questions. Do away with empty names and vain shows. Do away with unprofitable discourse and bold rebukes of others, and turn in upon yourselves. Oh, that this day, this hour, you would resolve to do so. Listener, I think I will prevail with you. All that I beg for is this, that you would step aside more often to talk with God and your own heart, that you would not allow every trifle to divert you, that you would keep a more true and faithful account of your thoughts and affections, that you would seriously demand of your own heart at least every evening, O oh my heart, where have you been today, and what has engaged your thoughts? Ten Motives by Way of Inducement If everything that has been said by way of inducement is not enough, I have ten motives for keeping the heart to offer to you. 1. The studying, observing, and diligently keeping your own heart will surprisingly help you to understand the deep mysteries of religion. An honest, well-experienced heart is an excellent help to the head. Such a heart will serve for a commentary on a great part of the Scriptures. By means of such a heart, you will have a better understanding of divine things than the most learned but graceless man ever had or can have. You will not only have a clearer, but also a more interesting and profitable understanding of them. A man may discuss orthodoxly and profoundly the nature and effects of faith, the troubles and comforts of conscience, and the sweetness of communion with God, who never felt the effect and sweet impression of these things upon his own soul. But how dark and dry are his beliefs compared with those of an experienced Christian? 2. The study and observation of your own heart will powerfully secure you against the dangerous and infecting errors of the times in which you live. What do you think the reason is why so many professing Christians have left the faith, giving heed to fables? Why have so many been led away by the error of the wicked? Why have those who have sown corrupt doctrines had such plentiful harvests among us, except because they have met with a race of professing Christians who never knew what belongs to practical godliness and the study and keeping of their hearts? 3. Your care and diligence in keeping your heart will prove to be one of the best evidences of your sincerity. I do not know of any external act of religion which truly distinguishes the sound from the unsound professing Christian. It is astonishing how far hypocrites go in all of their external duties, how plausibly they can show the outward man hiding all their indecencies from the observation of the world. But they take no heed to their hearts. They are not in secret what they appear to be in public. And before this test, no hypocrite can stand. 
They may indeed, in a fit of terror or on a deathbed, cry out of the wickedness of their hearts, but such ringing complaints are wholly of no regard. No credit in law is to be given to the testimony of one on the rack, because it may be thought that the extremity of his torture will make him say anything to get relief. But if self-vigilance, care, and watchfulness are the daily workings and frames of your heart, you have great evidence of your sincerity. 4. How comfortable and how profitable would all ordinances and duties be to you if your heart was faithfully kept? What lively communion might you have with God every time you approached Him if your heart was in a right frame? You might then say with David, My meditation of Him shall be sweet. It is the indisposition of the heart which renders ordinances and secret duties so comfortless to some. They strive to raise their hearts to God, now pressing this argument upon them, then that argument, to invigorate and change them. Yet they often nearly make it through the exercise, and before their hearts begin to be interested in it, they sometimes go away no better than when they came. But the Christian whose heart is prepared by being constantly kept enters immediately and heartily into his duties. He outstrips his sluggish neighbor, gets the first sight of Christ in a sermon, gets the first seal from Christ in a sacrament, and gets the first communication of grace and love in secret prayer. Now if there is anything valuable and comfortable in ordinances and private duties, look to your heart and keep it, I beg you. 5. Knowing your own heart will furnish you with a fountain of things to pray for. The man who is diligent in heart work will be richly supplied with items for prayer in his prayers to God. He will not be confused for lack of thoughts. His tongue will not falter for lack of expressions. 6. The most desirable thing in the world, that is, the revival of religion among people, may be effected by means of what I am urging upon you. Oh, that I might see the time when professing Christians will not walk in a vain show, when they will not please themselves any more with a name to live while they are spiritually dead, when they will no longer be in company with frothy, vain people, but when holiness will shine in their conversation and all the world and command reverence from all who are around them, when they will warm the heart of those who come near them and cause it to be said, God is in these men of truth. When may such a time be expected? Until heart work becomes the business of professing Christians, I do not have any hope of seeing a thing so blessed. Does it not grieve you to see how religion is condemned and trampled underfoot, and professing Christians are ridiculed and scorned in the world? Professing Christians, would you recover your credit? Would you obtain an honorable testimony in the consciences of your very enemies? Then keep your hearts. 7. By diligence in keeping our hearts, we can prevent the occasions of fatal scandals and stumbling blocks to the world. Woe to the world because of stumbling blocks. 8. Keep your heart faithfully, and you will be prepared for any situation or service to which you may be called. This and this only can properly prepare you for usefulness in any type of work. With this you can endure prosperity or adversity. You can deny yourself and turn your hand to any work. Thus Paul turned every circumstance to good account and made himself so eminently useful. When he preached to others, he provided a way against being cast away himself. 
he kept his heart. Everything in which he excelled seems to have had a close connection with his diligence in keeping his heart. 9. If the people of God would diligently keep their hearts, their communion with each other would be unspeakably more inviting and profitable. Then how goodly would be thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel! It is the fellowship which the people of God have with the Father and with the Son that kindles the desires of others to have communion with them. I tell you that if Christians would be persuaded to spend more time and take more care about their hearts, there would soon be such a divine excellence in their lives that others would count it a great privilege to be with or near them. It is the pride, passion, and earthliness of our hearts that has spoiled Christian fellowship. Why is it that when Christians meet, they are often jarring and contending? It is because their passions are not humbled. Where do their uncharitable rebukes of their brethren come from but from their ignorance of themselves? Why are they so rigid and unfeeling toward those who have fallen? It is because they do not feel their own weakness and liability to temptation. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Why is their conversation so light and unprofitable when they meet? It is because their hearts are earthly and vain. But now, if Christians would study their hearts more and keep them better, the beauty and glory of communion would be restored. They would dissent no more, contend no more, rebuke rashly no more. They will feel right one toward another, when each is daily humbled under a sense of the evil of his own heart. 10. Lastly, keep your heart, and then the comforts of the Spirit and the influence of all ordinances will be more fixed and lasting than they are now. Scripture. Are the consolations of God small with thee? Job chapter 15, verse 11. Ah, you have reason to be ashamed that the ordinances of God, as to their invigorating and comforting effects, should make so light and transient an impression on your heart. Now, listener, consider well these special benefits of keeping the heart which I have mentioned. Examine their importance. Are they small matters? Is it a small matter to have your understanding assisted? Your endangered soul rendered safe? Your sincerity proved? your communion with God sweetened, your heart filled with things to pray for? Is it a small thing to have the power of godliness, all fatal scandals removed, a received instrumental fitness to serve Christ, the communion of Christians restored to its primitive glory, the influence of ordinances abiding in the souls of Christians? If these are no common blessings, no ordinary benefits, then surely it is a great and indispensable duty to keep the heart with all diligence. Are you now inclined to undertake the business of keeping your heart? Are you resolved upon it? I charge you then to engage in it earnestly. Away with every cowardly feeling. Make up your mind to encounter difficulties. Draw your armor from the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, in its commands, its promises, its threatenings. Let the word of Christ be fixed in your understanding, your memory, your conscience, your affections. You must learn to wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with familiarity if you would defend your heart and conquer your enemies. You must call yourself frequently to an account. Examine yourself as in the presence of the all-seeing God, 
Bring your conscience, as it were, to the bar of judgment. Beware how you plunge yourself into a multiplicity of worldly business, how you practice upon the maxims of the world, and how you venture to indulge your depraved propensities. You must exercise the utmost vigilance to discover and check the first symptoms of departure from God, the least decline of spirituality, or the least indisposition to meditation by yourself and holy conversation and fellowship with others. These things you must undertake in the strength of Christ with invincible resolution at the outset. If you engage in this great work in this way, be assured you will not expend your strength for nothing. Comforts which you never felt or thought of will flow in upon you from every side. The diligent prosecution of this work will constantly afford you the most powerful excitements to vigilance and zeal in the life of faith, while it increases your strength and wears out your enemies. And when you have kept your heart with all diligence a little while, when you have fought the battles of this spiritual warfare, gained the ascendancy over the corruptions within, and vanquished the enemies without, then God will open the gate of heaven to you, and give you the portion which is promised to those who overcome. Awake then this moment. Get the world under your feet. Do not desire the things which a man may have and eternally lose his soul. Bless God that you may have his service here, and the glory hereafter which he appoints to his chosen. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen.